Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And I, I want to share with you guys, before we get started on today's episode on verbal plenary inspiration, on what it means and all those things, um, I, wanted to, I want to just mention briefly where we're headed here uh, for the rest of the year and maybe into next year on Wednesdays. We're going to be talking a lot about the doctrine of Scripture both what it is and how it's under attack. For those of you that didn't listen to my interview of my my wife, interviewed me on my new book, uh, The Word Matters, Defending Biblical Authority Against the Spirit of the Age. Um, it's published by G3 Press. Um, I want to encourage you to, to pick it up. Uh, it's, it's a helpful book. Uh, Dr. Josh Bice uh, wrote the foreword. Doctors John Frame and uh, Joel Beakey and more have very graciously endorsed it, and um, it's important as I as I've thought about this this book and as it's come out. I want to I want to say something as we start this. First off, I waited ten years for that book to be published. Uh, it, it, was, it was a long time coming for that book, but the Lord has also grown me in in being able to speak the truth and love in that point to in this book if, if the book was published in 2012 i i know that the book wouldn't be as good as it is and i hope that you're finding it if you're reading it already to find finding it helpful but it wouldn't be truth and love it would be full of truth the truth of god's word but it would not be presented in a manner, in a gracious manner. What I mean is, I've had to grow in my ability in handling the Word of God. And so what you see in this book is, is a lot of growth in the Lord. And, and so I'm very concerned, um, that, and I've wanted to talk about this for a long time, but I, I've been very concerned about our understanding in the church today about the doctrine of Scripture. And so... Over the next while on Wednesdays, we're gonna we'll talk about other things, but we're gonna talk about things that are attacking the doctrine of scripture here for, for a while on Wednesdays. I, I have a whole long list of topics that we're gonna cover and I'll probably throw in some others as well. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about the doctrine of scripture, how it's under attack. Uh, you know, we'll 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 talk as we did a few weeks ago about marriage and family as well and other things and Bible translations and um, I hope that this this will be helpful, and um, if you have other topics that you'd like me to consider within the doctrine of Scripture, or you, you find a fascinating news article or whatever, and you think that um, I should cover it from a biblical worldview, please send that to me. I'm always looking. Um, I keep a file of those things, and uh, so want to cover those things as well. So let's get, let's get into the, today's episode. Today we're going to talk about what verbal plenary inspiration is, 
And then we're going to get into a little bit about how it's under attack today. The, the first thing today to say is that human beings speak with their mouths as their breath moves across their vocal cords, causing their cords to vibrate and produce sounds that are formed into letters and words by our lips, our, our tongue and our teeth. There is the breathing out that has to take place for speech, and understanding this reality helps us to understand 2 Timothy 3.16, which I'm going to read many times on this episode. Scripture, Paul tells us, results from God's breathing out in speech. This is a rather clear way of saying that Scripture is the very speech of God. It is the Word of God. Now, the Greek word translated as breathed out in 2 Timothy 3.16 is Theopanustus, and scripture is the only thing described as such by the apostles. The scripture has a unique character as the voice and the word of God. It uniquely serves as God's special revelation as his inspired and revealed will for his people. Nothing else is Theopanustus, so we can point to nothing but the scripture as the word of God. And when we speak of Scripture as Theopanustus, we are pointing out its divine inspiration. The Word of God written is identical to God's speech. It is exactly what the Lord intends for us to have as the revelation of His will and for us to learn how we are to please the Lord. And at the same way, this does not take away from the Bible's human character. God breathed out his word, but he did so through the instrumentality of his prophets and his apostles. And so the book of Romans is Paul's word, bearing the apostles' unique style and character. And nevertheless, it's also God's word given by the Lord. That our Lord used a man to give us the book of Romans does not in any way make it more or less the very speech of God. And this idea that I just mentioned, it applies to the rest of the 66 books in the Word of God. Following 2 Timothy 3.16 and other passages, the Protestant Reformers affirm verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal inspiration means that inspiration pertains to the very words themselves, not just the meaning that the words convey. If Jesus could appeal to the tense of a verb in order to settle a theological question, as he did in Matthew 22, uh, 23-33, when he says, I am the God of, inspiration must apply to the specific words and even to their specific forms. Now, plenary inspiration, it means that all the words of Scripture are given by God, not just some of them. We cannot say that the Lord spoke only by the words of Scripture that pertain to doctrine, but not those that record history. No, God spoke it all, using the distinct style of each human author to give us his word for all of life. Paul says that all Scripture, everything received as canon in the 66 books of the Word of God, is God's word not just select portions of it in 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, the process of biblical inspiration is mysterious. We do not know exactly how God moved the human authors to give us his word. But we do know that scripture is the word of God, so that it can be trusted to give us nothing but the truth of God. And when we want to know God's will for us, we must turn to the scriptures, for it is there alone that we find the Lord's guidance and his will for us. There's 
no other way to hear from God other than in the word of God. And if you want to hear from God, you must read his word. If you want to hear him speak out loud, you must read his word out loud. Now, today we often hear that the Bible is truth. But what do such words really mean, we need to ask? Behind them is a flawed view of biblical authority with deadly consequences. We might even hear somebody say, wow, the Lord really spoke to me today from this verse. Yes, we can say the Bible contains the word of God. Have you ever heard these statements? Have you ever said them to them yourself? Now, both statements sound good. After all, does God does speak to us by illuminating the biblical text when we're reading. Is not truth found in the scriptures? Well, we answer yes, of course. But behind both statements lies a flawed view of the Bible, or at least a potential misconception about the authority of the word of God. And if we habitually identify truth by some internal response from our emotions, our mind, or even our our heartstrings, we open ourselves to the bad idea that the Bible becomes the word of God when God speaks to us. Years ago, this, this idea that I'm, I'm talking about was promoted uh, through a philosophy known as existentialism. This philosophy made its way into the church through what is known as a view called neo-orthodoxy. And theologians in the neo-orthodox camp taught that the Bible becomes God's word when he uses it to speak to us. And so in this view, anything can be God's word if he chooses to speak to us from it. The quote-unquote existential part is that we identify God's word through our own experience. In essence, we decide what is true by our likes, our desires, our biases. But the statement, the Bible contains truth, it, it does not go far enough. The Bible does not just contain truth. The Bible is God's truth. The Bible is truth is an insufficient view. To be sure, the Bible does contain truth, but the statement isn't, isn't, doesn't go far enough. The Bible is truth. Now, Jesus said in John 17, 17, your word is truth. His, his words echo Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of your word is truth. God, not us, determines what is truth. And God has declared what is truth. The Bible, every word, every thought is inspired by God. In theology, we call this, as we've talked about, verbal plenary inspiration. Every word is inspired. God breathed, not just the thoughts behind them, um, verbal inspiration. All the words are inspired, not just the ones we like, plenary inspiration. As a result of inspiration, the Bible is inspired without error and infallible without the possibility of error. It is absolutely true in all that it teaches. And we have to be so clear about this today because in recent years, the Oxford Dictionary even came out with a, a word, meaning uh, the word is post-truth, meaning that we are beyond the truth. We've moved past truth. And so we have to, we have to be very clear that words have meaning. And even, even what's interesting is our culture, our culture will use quote unquote biblical words and Christian words, and you'll even see it pop up in business. Words like, oh, I'm an evangelist for such and such product, or I'm an ambassador for this product. You know, we see that through influencers on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and so on and so and so forth. But everybody agrees, whether they whether they think about it or not. A words have meaning. The only way for words to have meaning is for words to contain truth. 
Well, words have meaning and words contain truth. And so we have to be extra careful in this culture. It's it's deceptive. Our culture is very deceptive on this. See, our culture does believe in truth. After all, God, Ecclesiastes 3.11, says that God has set eternity on our hearts. Uh, the truth is, is to be known. Everybody is seeking after truth. R.C. Sproul once said, the question is, isn't, isn't whether you're, you're a theologian. The question is whether you're a good one or a bad one. And he's absolutely right. The atheist is a theologian. The Mormon is a theologian. The Jehovah's Witness is a theologian. And on and on you can go. Everybody is seeking truth. The question is, what's the source for the truth? In a biblical worldview, we say that the answer is in the Word of God. That's why we're taking the time to go through these things and to talk about them because it is absolutely critical for us as Christians to be shaped by and to understand these ideas and these concepts and to be able to stand on the Word of God and defend them and explain them in the culture, not only the broader culture that we're living in, but also the, the, cult, the evangelical Protestant culture in which we're living in. Uh, it's absolutely critical for us to understand these things. Now think about what I'm talking about here, about the implications of this for your own life as you open up the Bible and approach the text. If the Bible contains truth and if the truth is identified by some experiential criteria, then you're going to have to search for the truth. You, you must pick and choose what is true according to your own ideas and, and your own uh, philosophy. In the process, you're, you must rely on your own ability to discern truth, even though the heart and the mind and the emotions of man are corrupt and fallible. On the other hand, if a person comes to the Bible and presupposes that it's true, he does not ponder what is true. He considers all that is true. They're on a solid footing to hear all the Lord has for them as God's Spirit lead them into all the truth, as John 16, 13 tells us. Do you see the point here? If we do not come to the Bible with a correct view of the verbal plenary inspiration, then the authority of Scripture is going to be undermined. We have to be the one who discerns or decides or chooses what is true. The rest of the word lies on the cutting room floor and is discarded or ignored. If we do not believe that the entire Bible is God-given, then what is the basis of its authority? If we decide what is true, then God's word has no authority at all. We are the authority. A subtle error, yes. But it is far, far from a minor problem, as we're going to talk about in this very long series that we're going to do on the doctrine of Scripture. This problem that I just said, that, that, and I'll say it again, um, this is a far from a minor problem in the, in the church today. It is a widespread problem. It is a pandemic, if you will. Christians must believe in the authority of Scripture, all of Scripture, all 66 books of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. See, this approach to understanding Scripture allowed our Lord and Savior to speak with authority. In, 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 at the very end, if you'll remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Remember, they are astonished that Jesus in, in Matthew 7, 29 spoke with authority over and against the religious leaders of the day 
who were giving opinions about the various laws and and commandments of God. Uh, you know, Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke his word. He spoke his word. See, today we need to adopt this same approach as we go about our lives sharing the gospel and biblical truth and helping others. We, we don't have opinions. We have an objective standard in the word of God. You see, our words, we can say, will have authority only as we affirm God's word is truth. And when we say the Bible is inspired and authoritative, we are referring to its ideas, its teaching, or, or maybe even something more we need to ask. Well, the Bible doesn't leave us any doubts about its meaning. Make no mistake about it. It's easy to slip into the habit of using words without knowing exactly what they mean. Who hasn't been guilty of that, right? This is especially true when Christians use common theological terms in a casual conversation. We can get so comfortable using familiar uh, terms that that we miss their rich meaning and uh, the ideas behind them that they were intended to express. And one of these is inspiration. Inspiration comes from the Latin for breathing into, but the actual Greek word, as we pointed out, has an even more pointed meaning. Although inspiration is not, strictly speaking, a, a biblical word, the entire message and the authority depend on the concept. In fact, inspiration is a property of the scriptures. In fact, Paul tells us that all scripture is inspired by God in 2 Timothy 3.16. This phrase is a translation of one Greek word, which literally means God breathed. God did not simply breathe into already existing words. Rather, he breathed out the very words themselves. The nuance is significant. The scriptures originate with God, are issued forth by God, and are the very word of God. And so the human authors of Scripture always wrote what God intended. And although the process beyond, behind the divine inspiration of Scripture is not revealed in detail in Scripture, the Bible tells us that it was entirely under the direction of the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter 1.21. And so whether Revelation came about directly, for example, by dictation with Romans 1-3, through or indirectly by means of human uh, careful human research, as in Luke 1, 1 through 3, the Holy Spirit's superintending guidance ensured that the human authors always wrote precisely what God intended for them to write. The very words they wrote were not merely human words. They were the words communicated by the Holy Spirit, as 1 Corinthians 1, 2 through 13 tells us. And even though the Spirit oversaw the process, the human Writers were not merely passive penmen. Their varied personal experience and stylistic choices are reflected in the pages of Scripture, which can be seen in such things as, as diverse vocabularies of the different books. Nevertheless, the final product of Scripture was exactly, exactly as the Lord intended. And now going beyond this basic definition of inspiration, it's important to clarify precisely in what way Scripture is inspired. Biblical Christianity holds that the Bible is verbally inspired. Verbal inspiration is the process by which God ensured that individual words of Scripture, not just the overarching concepts, communicate exactly what the Lord intended to say. And this is not to deny the active role of human authors in selecting vocabulary and arranging te the text. It is to say that the very words that the human authors wrote down were, in fact, God's word. 
The concept is taught by scripture when God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, 7 through 9. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. In the New Testament, Paul notes that the message he proclaimed was not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches in 1 Corinthians 2.13. And both Jesus and the New Testament writers base their theological arguments on very fine points of language on the level, on the level of individual words. They appealed to such thing as, as a particular pronominal suffix. For example, my Lord in Matthew 22, 44, 44 through 45, quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. Paul noted the distinction between the singular and the plural forms of a noun. Seed versus seeds in Galatians 3.16, quoting Genesis 12.7. Jesus even emphasized the distinction between the implied present tense of a verb as opposed to a past verb, saying, I am the God of Abraham in Matthew 22, 32, quoting Exodus 3, 3, 6. And so if the very words of Scripture were not inspired, then these arguments carry no weight. Verbal plenary inspiration is clearly important since whole doctrines hinge on the meaning of individual words. Now, remember what I said. In language, words have meaning, and they have meaning because we have truth. Everybody all around us is using words, and everybody all around us has to then affirm that there is truth, that there is actually a meaning for the word. Otherwise, guess what? We can't have, we can't have dictionaries because if you don't have, a, have truth, if you don't have truth, you can't have meaning. This is, this is actually an interesting thing because that, that's what's so ironic about the word post-truth. If you can't have truth, then how can you have the meaning of a word? It's a question. But this is exactly the, the, the logic, the illogic, illogical nature of much of, what our, our, of the arguments that our culture proposes. We have to deal with and challenge those ideas that are out there because we believe in the truth. This is why 1 Peter 3.15, by the way, tells us to always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have and to do it with gentleness and respect. By the way, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22-23, is as we've talked about, one of the things the Holy Spirit is producing in you, as you read, as you study, as you meditate, as you memorize the Word of God, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to produce in you gentleness so that you can be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have and to do so with gentleness and respect. It's a matter both, Peter says, both of our character that's being formed in us as we read and study and meditate on the Word, and the Holy Spirit takes that Word and, and is producing the fruits of the Spirit in our life. And it's also a matter of our witness because what we're becoming like is how we're going to reflect the glory of Christ to our world. So this, I can't even tell you that how much this matters. This really, 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 really matters. So as I said, verbal... Inspiration is important since whole doctrines hinge upon the meaning of individual words. God used specific words to communicate his word. And so we can't even cannot be sure of, of our doctrine unless we can uh, understand the meaning 
of Scripture on the basis of those exact words. And when we say that the Bible is inspired and authoritative, we mean more than its ideas. Those words are inspired. In fact, every single word throughout the entire Bible is inspired. In fact, different people sometimes use words in different ways. Most of the time, slight variations don't matter, but, but sometimes a speaker's meaning is vastly different from the way other people understand it, and the results are catastrophic. This is especially true when Bible scholars use theological terms to refer to biblical concepts. Sometimes they, now sometimes they hold unorthodox views that undermine the Bible while describing them in terms that sound orthodox. Inspiration, which describes God, the God-breathed quality of Scripture, is such a term as 2 Timothy 3.16 describes. The human authors of Scripture always wrote precisely what God intended. So the concept of verbal inspiration, the biblical teaching, the individual words of Scripture, and not just overarching ideas, express exactly what God intended to convey. But there's another facet of inspiration that's just as important— plenary inspiration. This doctrine states that all of God's Word is inspired, not just uh, certain portions of it. This view contradicts various notions of partial inspiration, which maintain that only certain elements of Scripture are holy of God. Proponents of partial inspiration often assert that the Bible's doctrinal message, its spiritual content, is inspired, but not its historical or even its scientific details thus allowing God to share an infallible gospel message in a flawed human text. Theologians who support the idea of partial inspiration still use terms like inspired and God-breathed to speak of the Bible, but what they mean is very different from biblical orthodox view. That's why we have to understand and very clearly articulate what we mean, which is also why, again, words have meaning, and behind those meanings is truth. So we have to be very clear about what we mean when we use these terms. 2 Timothy 3.16 supports plenary inspiration, plainly stating that all Scripture is God-breathed. This view is corroborated by a logical necessity. Scriptural truth cannot be separated into parts. It's, it's impossible to draw a line between doctrinal truths and historical situations in which those truths are communicated. We cannot distinguish altogether between the doctrine of Christ's resurrection and the actual events of the resurrection upon which this truth is based. And so proponents of partial inspiration who attempt to separate the spiritual or the doctrinal content from the Bible's historical and the scientific content have adopted a deeply flawed perspective. Such efforts destroy the Bible's message and the authority of God's Word. We see the importance of the doctrine of plenary inspiration by the results of denying it. Without the truth of plenary inspiration, the reader is left to determine on his own which portions of the God's Word are inspired and thus uh, authoritative and relevant to daily life. He has no clear basis for knowing what parts of God's Word they can really trust and what parts we can dismiss as non-essential. He has no anchor to keep him uh, steady against every wind of doctrine, as Ephesians 4.11 says, worse still, the Word of God could say whatever he wants to say to suit their lifestyle. So understanding how to think and live properly comes down then to subjective opinion. Well, thankfully, unlike all that, uh, Scripture is inspired. So the Christian can have confidence in knowing how to deal with every aspect of life in a way that pleases the Lord. Ultimately, it is the inspiration of Scripture in its entirety that makes it genuinely and inexhaustibly profitable for doctrine, for approval, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, we have, God has given us a word in the scriptures. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. It is for every phase and aspect of our lives. It's binding on our lives. It's clear. So we can know what God has said to us and the word has meaning because it is the truth. It is the truth. And Titus 1-2 says that God never lies. And God stands behind his word because God is a holy, just, perfect, loving, merciful, and just God. And so we can trust God. We can take his word to the bank because as 2 Corinthians 1-20 says, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Until next Monday and Friday, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, at Servants of Grace, on Instagram, at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.